Hi, Patrick here. Later in the pod, five-word webby acceptance speeches. That's just a string of nouns, isn't it? Anyway, that's after the European Union. It's so easy to bash the EU. Everyone hates them. Some of their member states are going bankrupt, so they blame the EU. Some of their other member states, well, they're complaining about bailing out the bankrupt cousins. They blame the EU too. And then there are those countries, especially the reluctant half-in, half-out member states like, like Britain and Denmark. They love to complain about EU bureaucrats and EU directives and general EU restrictions on freedom. Well, here's something else to complain about. All those languages they talk in Europe, the EU insists that everything its leaders or officials say or write must be rendered in all the official languages of the EU. And that would be 23 languages, 24 next month when Croatia joins. That's a mountain of translation. But at the EU, the credo has always been unity is diversity. Even when it means hiring all of those interpreters and translators that cost millions and may even hold back Europe's global competitiveness. Here's Brussels-based reporter Don Duncan. You might wonder, when most, if not all, EU bureaucrats master English, what's the point in maintaining 23 official languages? Why not just use a single language, like English? It's tempting, of course. With English, you get through everywhere in the whole world. That's Andrea Daman, head of communications for the translation unit of the European Commission. On the other hand, I'm always saying, if you want to do business, you've got to speak the language of the client. And in order to speak the language of the client, that's the 27 member states, a long, complex and time-consuming chain of tasks needs to happen. A delegate delivers a speech, for example, in his native Latvian. That speech is taken up by dozens of interpreters who simultaneously translate into their respective languages or tune into the English interpretation and work from that. Meanwhile, an official release of the speech is produced. This is sent to the translation unit and again, either directly or via English, a separate group of text-based translators gets to work. As the EU gets larger, critics of the multilingual system are becoming more vocal. Shada Islam is with the prominent Brussels think tank Friends of Europe. She says that the process is costly, unproductive and most of all, unnecessary. We're spending too much money, time and energy on this language issue. The world is moving fast, the world is moving ahead and we need to be looking at other ways of fostering diversity and inclusiveness. And you do really need to have a common understanding. Um, And I think that's where English came in as the natural um, language that everybody spoke. While more and more respected public policy organisations are calling for establishing English as the language of the EU, the idea remains politically toxic. English is, after all, the language of the most Eurosceptic country, the UK. What's more, France and Germany are very touchy when it comes to having their languages eclipsed by English. Regardless of sentiment, EU officials argue that using any single language wouldn't be democratic or in the shared spirit of the Union. Uh, Scholars in the Netherlands, Belgium and Israel looked at how you understand translation as part of other writing systems. 
This translation classroom in Dublin City University is another reason why the EU won't drop its multilingual policy anytime soon. It creates jobs. Translation is a robust growth industry in a time of recession. All of our graduates have been snapped up. Dorothy Kenny, a senior lecturer at Dublin City University's translation programme, says that a half dozen translation courses have sprung up across Ireland since Irish became an official language in 2007. The programmes now produce 50 graduates annually and their job prospects are excellent. I think it's wonderful because people can gain economic benefit from their bilingualism. And it's something that has brought benefit to other parts of the world where people are bilingual. Officially, very few people actually speak Irish daily. And then there are countries like Malta, Estonia and Latvia with tiny populations. It's all created major headaches for the translation unit, which currently spends an additional $90,000 yearly, coaxing young people towards careers in translation. For sceptics like Shada Islam, this increasingly expensive commitment to multilingualism is absurd and dishonest. Europeans believe very much, or at least they, they think they should believe very much, in diversity and in inclusion, and everyone's equal. I mean, it's, it's an artificial uh, mental setup, if you like, because we aren't. Everybody's not equal. They're big powers. There's Germany. There's France. So we're not all equal. But despite the growing costs and complexity and the growing scepticism from outside the EU institutions, the union is holding course and shows no sign of shifting. When Croatian becomes the EU's 24th official language in July, the cost of the union's commitment to multilingualism will nudge up to an estimated $1.5 billion a year. For The World, this is Don Duncan in Brussels. I'll link to a couple of other pods we've done on translating and interpreting. That'll be at theworld.org slash language. Now on to awards and words. And here's something I came across today. Today, as I speak, being the day when the Webby Awards get handed out. Here's the BBC's Sarah Montague. The internet equivalent of the Oscars takes place tonight. They're called the Webby Awards and they honour the best websites and online films and videos. They've become known, though, for their acceptance speeches because unlike other awards ceremonies, they are limited to just five words. Here are some from last year, starting with the Mayor of New York. The Webby's is thrilled to present the Lifetime Achievement Award to Mayor Michael Bloomberg. Make it here, then everywhere. Truly, all art is advertising. Happy is the new rich. But five words aren't enough. Okay. Uh, Your 2012 Person of the Year Award goes to Louis C.K. When I die, bye-bye. This was from last year. We'll get some more tonight. Well, uh, someone who knows a thing or two about subbing down is John Crace. He writes Digested Read, um, the features in the Guardian newspaper. Do you like the idea of this? Just five words to say thank uh, you? It has its advantages in that if it's boring, it's over really quickly. But I do think that one of the pleasures of the Oscar speeches are the kind of car crash potential. And when you're down to five words, even if you're boring, it's unlikely to be a total car crash. 
The trouble there with with five, you, what can you say in five words? I mean, it's almost too banal, isn't it? Well, I think you're either reduced to sort of concocting an aphorism of some kind or giving an advert. When Groupon won, they said it stands for Group Coupon which just sort of felt a bit lame. I think the best plan is probably to go for a joke of some kind, for a gag. Perhaps something like, in five words, thank you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and perhaps you're even limited with the jokes. That yeah, you, that thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, John. Um, the, what we see, though, from film award ceremonies and from Hollywoods, I mean, you would choose to limit those, wouldn't you? Um, well, the Oscars. You must love the prospect of getting your hands on subbing those down. <laughs> well, it's just sort of thank you and tears mainly, isn't it? Um, Alfred Hitchcock famously did just say thank you. I think that was the shortest Oscar exp- acceptance speech ever. And then we had sort of Cher thanking her makeup artist, her hairdresser, and everyone else. And lots of blubbing from others. Always, Kate Winslet's always good for a blub. And I think we kind of enjoy those speeches the best, the ones that are sort of vaguely kind of respectful and calm. They just sort of pass away and you don't really remember them at all. Although those webbies, I mean, even though they're very short, I mean, I, I suppose the good one is the one that you need a bit of time anyway to think about afterwards. Yes. And, and it'll attract people tonight. I think so. I mean, the thing to remember also with the webbies is that there are about 100 categories. So if you were going to give everyone a five-minute speech, you'd be going on for a day or so. <laughs> so there is some kind of... Um, Thank God they only get five yeah, words. time control. Our time is up. John Crace, thank, thank you. you. John Crace, by the way, is a very, very funny writer. He was once a podcaster, too. That column that he writes for The Guardian, The Digested Read, he used to do a podcast version of it, which I absolutely love. He's got a thing with voices. He has the performer in him. Anyway, for one reason or another, those podcasts stop. But you can still download them all. Difficult to pick a favorite, but Crace's take on Top Gear's Jeremy Clarkson, you know him, and his book, Driven to Distraction, is hilarious. And just to give you a little tidbit, what's the point of Norway? I'll link to that podcast at theworld.org slash language. Otherwise, see you on Facebook or Twitter. I tweet as Patrick Cox. That's P-A-T-R-I-C-O-X. See ya.